Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 16 with Riz Ahmed. Um, very excited for this one. I think you're going to enjoy it. There's some really interesting stuff discussed. We've got a couple of sponsors this week. Um, I'm going to get into them first. First of all, Speech Development Records, as in as it is every week. That's, that's my record label. You can head there for all sorts of music and merchandise. Give us a look, speechdevelopmentrecords.com or just go to scroobiuspip.co.uk and go to the, the merch um, shop tab or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't go and buy stuff from my own shop. It's mine. Um, we are also brought to you by onit.com. Onit is a human optimization website. They sell a lot of fitness stuff. Um, it's annoying, actually. I'm, I really want... I'm looking to get some of their kettlebells, but um, import would be ridiculously expensive. They've got amazing kettlebells there, and I want to try out their workouts that have been going on about. I'm sure they've got a UK distribution as well. But um, anyway, I'm distracting from the actual advert here or sponsor. If you go to onit.com slash pip, you get 10% off all of their stuff, um, and you help support the podcast by doing that so head there is it's not just fitness there's there's mental um stuff as well that sounds odd there's a nootropics all sorts of, of different um vitamins and supplements it's worth a look but this week's podcast um yeah our guest is Riz Ahmed who it, it, I think is is one of the best British actors um in the game today um he's been doing it for a long time he kind of he really came to light in four lines in fact I'm not even going to go into this you can uh, we discuss all of this it's a podcast for god's sake enjoy episode 16 and i'll be back at the end with some information for you see you in a bit this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction this piece of fiction is this piece of fiction is the intro to distraction and we're good. So I'm here with Ariz Ahmed. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. What's going on at the moment? Oh, man, I'm just about to go back to New York tomorrow. So it's like my last day in London. So I'm running around doing like everything that I was meant to do over the last like, well, you know, just seeing family yeah. and like right. all little errands and like administrative things and just running around. But I was like, I've got to have some Got to have some juice in my day. Got to have something to look forward to. Damn so right. I wanted to come and chill I with you. Appreciate you letting us have have this moment. Um, uh, we were talking beforehand before we started about a f- a fitness, and I think that's kind of a fascinating thing that a lot of people don't realise or won't realise for, for for actors that that can be part of it. That you, like you said before, you've had to train in different ways for different films in the past. Yeah, how's that? Is is that something you're aware of? before you started or something that's impacted you more or you've or you've learned off other people as you've as you've you've got into it you know it's weird i think it's also like a kind of cultural shift from like this happened from like because because okay so in in britain particularly acting is like taught in this kind of because shakespeare is so dominant in yeah. like our culture and and um and, you know, in drama school and stuff, acting is taught almost from a very text-based perspective. Yeah. It's like all the answers are in the text, they're in the play, if you kind of do your detective work on the text. And uh, rehearsals are often about kind of sitting around a table and talking about it and analysing stuff. Sure. And because that's coming from a theatre point of view, in theatre, you, you, you know, you get to do the performance once that night, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. what you're trying to do is you're trying to find the optimal kind of 
way of playing each scene? What's yeah, the what's yeah. the optimal high stakes way? Like what's the optimal transaction taking place in this exchange between these two characters? Yeah, and you find that and you kind of do that. That right? live and one off or continually one off, but that live and one opportunity thing. Exactly. So a lot of the focus goes on to text and stuff like that. Whereas I, th- I kind of feel like in film people and and I, what I've noticed more in the American approach, working more with American directors and sometimes actors as well, is it, it's not coming so much from theatre. So they don't have to nail what the optimal transaction is. In that, it's like let's do the red version of the scene, then do the purple one and yeah. the yellow one and the green one and the black one, yeah, and we'll amazing. throw it all, and then they'll f- and then the director and the editor can shape it yeah. in the edit. So that becomes more about just like. Uh, like immersing yourself in the character, in the character more the, than in the or the yeah, script, obviously important, yeah, yeah, but as exactly. much getting into the character well, so you can that, allow that to breathe. And yeah, live. and there's that anecdote with like um, I think is it Dustin Hoffman and um, is it John Gielgud? I might be misquoting, but it's like was it uh, Marathon Man or something right. like that when it was like Dustin Hoffman was like running round and round and round the set, like running round for ages to make himself out of breath. Yeah, and John Gielgud was like. I bet it isn't John Gilgood. Someone yeah. will correct me, hopefully. He was like, um, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, I've got to be tired in this scene. Yeah. And uh, and John Gilgood was like, you should try something. It's called acting, darling. You yeah. know, and there's this, I think there is a kind of, there's I a different it. different approach sometimes in with like film and in, in America with the whole thing of like, uh, you know, sense memory and method acting that, as a British actor, I was not exposed to as yeah, much. Yeah. So as I work more in film, as I w- work more in America, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, being exposed more to that. And I, and I think it's interesting. Like, you know, on Nightcrawler, for example, you know, um, we'd sit down for, for rehearsals. Uh, I'd sit down with myself, Jake Gyllenhaal, and the director, and it would be like... I don't know, like, I'd be, like, literally going, like, yeah, but listen, I mean, what do you think is going on here? I think it might be this and this, because yeah. if you look at this scene, actually, I'll say that. So it's, like, you know, you know, doing That's that amazing. text base. And Jay could be, like... <laughs> Jay could be basically just starving himself. Yeah. yeah. You know, that was yeah, his yeah, preparation. Yeah. He starved himself. Yeah, like, he looked insane he was, f- Dude, he, that. he had, like, a piece of chewing gum and a tea in a day. And I was sitting, sitting there thinking, like... Part of me was thinking, well, what is that got to do with anything? Like, yeah. is this just an actor's vanity? Like, what are you yeah. doing? What is this? What has it got to do with anything? Yeah, it's about yeah. the scene. But then actually, when we got onto set, when we started doing the scenes, when I saw the film back, I was like, that's kind of genius. You know, this character is basically like desperately hungry. So Jake basically made himself desperately hungry. Yeah. And it's that's just amazing. really that simple. So, and again, I think it's a weird thing. It's a different people, approach. Yeah, you know? that's it. But people think people on one side of the fence think that theirs is the right way and the other is the, is the wrong and I think yeah. it's it's completely dependent on personality on role even because again time. I remember the same a Morgan Freeman had the same quote of he's like I don't understand all these these method actors I act I just I get out by act and then I, I stop acting you know it's mm. a different thing but it's like it surprised me because Morgan Freeman was was someone I'd think of as maybe being into that kind of side yeah. of it, but it's completely individual and I think it changes taste, almost right? from day to day as well and from scene to scene. And I, I mean, I think something that I'm trying to embrace more and more is is just well, just accepting that part of the the you know I, I guess any kind of artistic life is about like basically being in a state of confusion. 
Yeah. You know, you don't really sure. Like, how do you do? How do you do? What's your approach? I don't. I don't fucking know, really. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's some things that I will always use as starting points, and then I just go off on one. And and a lot of the time, if you try and recreate what your process was on the last project and stuff, that would just hit a brick wall. Because as you said, it'll be a different vibe. It's a different dynamics, a different alchemy between like the director and the actors on set, the storyline, the pace of shooting. It's so it, so much of it is about almost uh, just. I, I don't know. I find more and more it's about like, and I'm and I don't just mean like in acting, but in, in you know in making music and it just anything personal relationships. I find sometimes it's about like I get, I feel like things have gone better if I um, let go a bit more. Yeah. If yeah, I like yeah, yeah. give up on the idea of trying to control it and steer the situation, steer the conversation. You know. Is that an interesting it, thing to, to get to get used to with different directors and whatnot that that, that they're going to have different methods of like some will want you to have that freedom and express your own ideas and thoughts on it and some I'd imagine will want you to be here's the script do the scripts <laughs> you've there got is, the script yeah. just can you do this like, rather than that it's, it's, it, it yeah. sounds like nice a great idea. situation save it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> well let's film that once and then we'll get back to doing the let's get that so it's in the bag and then um so it's, it sounds like a great experience on, on doing something I, I like a night crawler which was a, one of my films of last year i thought it was absolutely oh, thanks, amazing man. i was so buzzed for it i weirdly hadn't it seemed to come out of nowhere i I went to the cinema on um, a day off from a tour I was on um, and there was a trailer for it. And in fact, I did, it's the first time in years I've broken the golden rule. I took my phone out in the cinema and text you saying, <laughs> what the fuck is, like, this looks amazing because the trailer just blew me away that much. And I don't know, it seems did you to see come out Which trailer did you see? Did you see the one, they started putting out crazy ones. Like they put out one that was like, with all the blogs quotes on it and like we're playing like the Kendrick backseat back, back freestyle on the trailer I'm not sure I, I like, don't think I had the I was like, this is the best trailer yeah. for anything I've ever <laughs> it's done it's just like blazing Kendrick in the background yeah it, it just looked amazing and it looks intense and then yeah I, I I caught it as soon as I could and was I was blown away so how how was that to go from I mean we'll we will f f f find some kind of order at some point, but to go from um, a work in, in British films, or how has it been in g general to go from a, a British cinema and TV mm. to um, America and something like Nightcrawler that was so stylized and so LA, like so drenched in that, you know, in that feel? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. I think there are definitely differences. I think one is, um, as you said, there's, I think generally British productions, at least of... Because there's there's the two kinds of British productions. There's the kind of stuff that's like packaged for a global audience, which is usually like big period drama, and mm -hmm. then, you know, uh, and they don't cast people like me in that. Yeah. Or sure. there's like independent films, and those independent films, which I've been proud to have been associated with, are more like kind of, um, you know, there's just there's no budget, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, just yeah. you know, there's just no budget. Like everyone's just all hands on deck, and I think that's quite good in a way that I, I enjoy that I'm someone who doesn't like sitting still and waiting around and the idea of like right we have to move at a fast pace literally all hands on deck shit the floor's wet it's not going to be raining in this scene like chuck me a broom you know that's oh, wow. how it, yeah, it was yeah, in yeah. Four Lions that's how it was in Shifty and I, I quite like that and like the camaraderie of that as well and there's a certain pace to that that I like um, that's interesting I think when you get more money then you can take more time and then it becomes there's different kinds of 
gifts that come with that, but also different kinds of challenges. Like you get your time and your space and your headspace, and you get to do that extra take, you know. Yeah. And they put up that extra light, and yeah, they've got two cameras, so wicked. You don't have to repeat it again, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But also maybe then there's a challenge of how do you manage your energy. There's one it's mad thing about that, America. Go on, go on. One mad thing about America though is like catering in British films is terrible yeah like almost across the board everyone knows that really? it's yeah. almost society you just can't get away from it right <laughs> but in America they've got this thing man called crafties right craft services there's a whole department that's dedicated to just feeding everyone amazing constantly throughout the day there's like this is there's like four tables put that together with just like Jake man that must have killed Jake <laughs> with his, his chewing gum Mate. did they have like a variety of chewing gum they did actually no, they the did. you know you've got you know I've got the Wrigley's extra <laughs> yeah, dessert yeah, special yeah, one yeah. like <laughs> the the uh, orange lollipop flavor amazing. and the strawberry cheesecake all that um, exactly um so so there's just like mad snacks and and that's a different kind of challenge, man. Because if you OD on M and M's, you're going to be asleep in the yeah, scene. Completely. I mean, it's, it's different. It's, different it's as well. Interesting thing you just dropped in casually there. How much of a difference it makes when there's two cameras? That mm. sounds like a stupid thing, but people obviously until you either make something or really analyze a film are realizing that a lot of these scenes they're going to have to have done. Over oh, and mate, over we've done it like twenty times because yeah. you're getting the yeah. the the camera cl- cl- close up on you, mid on you, close up on the person you're talking to, mid the two of you together, and all of that. So yeah. the fact of having a few of them shots happening at once, that must be kind of amazing or, or relieving to, uh, to be able to do that. And for the the, f- the flow of a scene, because c- you can be more true to keeping more of one actual take rather than piecing together. You know, yeah, a series of takes. Definitely, I guess. it can be. It can. I mean, but it can also present obstacles. Like, um, <laughs> like right now, I'm doing this. I'm filming this uh, series for HBO Amazing. called. Um, well, it's called Criminal Justice, but I think right now it's called Crime. Um, and uh, some of it takes place in the in the like it's in the criminal justice system, so it's in prisons and stuff. Yeah, well. And prison cells are small. Yeah. So fitting two cameras with the cameramen, the focus pullers and the grips who are operating the dollies and the tracks that they're on and the lights that you need to try and nail for both those cameras to get a good angle and to look good and in a cell. So that can present a totally different set of obstacles as well in a way. So everything's like a gift and a curse. In a way, in that situation, it's easier to go back to the low budget. Yeah, it can be. What what do you think... Have you come to a point where you've got a theory on what actually gets the best end result because I was watching um, a documentary on on Herzog and and Kinski at the weekend and My Best Fiend and it was uh, talking a lot about um, um, Aguirre The Wrath of God which is is one of my favourite films and it was revealing that because they were filming it literally on a raft in Peru and literally like tiny crew loads of it they literally had one take on yeah, and that was it done we move on to the next bit people are actually going to die people are getting injured like serious shit's going down so they just film bang onto the next bit and i've watched that film a load of times now and been amazed by it so realizing that actually they've not spent days and days crafting over the, that same scene and i'd imagine it was similar when you were making Sh- shifty that i mean that was known and pushed for being um, a micro budget f- film yeah. and being so low budget so i'd imagine there was a lot there where you had to kind of get that in the can and move on yeah there's and do you think that kind of gets that pressure gets 
that has its own better out of you or the opportunity to to really craft it and and nail it is the better option um it's a really good question (laughs) question, man no i I i think that i think when it when you've got no time and no money there's a higher percentage of probability that no one will ever see the film or hear of the film yeah yeah so the cases in which those in that cocktail of ingredients of like low budget low you know no time we're all in it together the times when that stuff fails is probably quite high yeah but you just don't hear about it yeah yeah yeah, yeah whereas the big budget kind of films where you're gonna hear about it regardless because they put in 100 million to make the film yeah so if you see it then you can see that it's sometimes if it doesn't work it yeah. doesn't fail of course. you just see all of those successes and all those failures yeah. whereas with the low budget kind of films and stuff if you've heard of the film if someone's seen the film then that means it worked yeah. so I yeah. guess I'm saying it is a bit of roulette like I think it can go either way but, yeah, but I think there's something there's something about that whole kind of you know, uh, I think I think that that sense of like camaraderie and um, madness, yeah. and not quite no and pace. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is quite that can prevent overthinking. I mean, and things can still still feel organic. I think there is at least just because of the way that this is just my own bias because the first the first film I did was like totally improvised it was that Michael Winterbottom film Road to Guantanamo yeah, 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 and we yeah. just basically like me and three guys from like um, phenomenal actors but never acted before yeah. just plucked from like you know kind of uh, colleges in Birmingham yeah. just went on a road trip through Pakistan and Afghanistan and Michael was just filming us so all those scenes where we're throwing up we're really throwing up you know oh, wow. I'm there like I remember there's this one dustbin like who's just on this like mad Pashtun like um, like lorry like driving at like 80 miles an hour off the edge of a cliff off the Shkhaibar Pass the drivers over there, a lot of these the, these Pashtun tribes when they come from villages where all they do is the villages they make guns and they grow weed and that's Damn. all it. So that's all it. That, yeah. There's just guns and weed. Yeah. It's literally like some weird. Rap um, video. It should be a rap video, really. <laughs> Pashtun rap. Pashtun crunk is not. Yeah, it's an untapped genre. But they. Um, so just driving along, just throwing out a tree, and just like, what's going on? I'm just feeling sick. I've got food poisoning. And there's just like one dustbin. And I'm like going, you know, taking a dump in the same dustbin that I'm having to throw up in. Damn. And Michael's just like, yeah, let's get a little bit of a close bit more of a close-up on that That's i'm amazing. just like you're so evil yeah <laughs> like what are you doing i find that all f- um, fascinating that kind of that f- and that's uh, just real that you know? way of filmmaking of really putting people <laughs> through this this situation and it's suddenly we because we're watching it on a screen it's fine it's not like you know that's that's a real it's putting people through but, them but, trials and you you get something amazing right? but that's how but that was my first experience so in a way I started off getting, yeah, just getting abused, like basically. Stuff's so, horrible. Yeah, I'm one of these dudes, one of those like beaten, abused dogs. It's yeah, just like, yeah. yeah, man, no budget is the way to go. It's amazing. Um, and now you get catering and, and you're yeah. letting doors and all sorts. You're like, wow, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah, just throwing these M&Ms away. Like, what? Um, but it's, 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 it's interesting, the differences in the UK and the US. One, one is often like scale of budget, although Nightcrawler was also a very low budget film yeah. for what it was trying to achieve. Um, and, and that had a similar kind of like sense of madness to it. It was all night shoots. It was all course, just, yeah. um, you know, so we just didn't, I didn't see daylight for like over a month. Mm. does very weird things to you that after a while. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of like fasting. Yeah. It's kind of puts you in a really, in a different kind of like 
a different pace and a different. It just weirds Again, you out. From that kind of uh, almost a sadistic filmmaking point of view, I'd imagine that <laughs> added to the film because the film had yeah. that vibe of it felt just weird and wrong and everything slightly me- yeah. messed up. And I it's guess so- that comes from everyone involved isn't seeing daylight everyone involved is filming only at night and kind of getting in this weird headspace yes basically everyone's like wants to go to sleep and jake is looking at everyone like he wants to eat them yeah yeah and that's basically what you get when everyone's starving and hasn't slept um but but listen i mean that's that's kind of that does kind of add a kind of flourish to things when people are really gone through the ringer but i think also it's just a really good script man yeah and it's an incredible you know director photography robert elswith um yeah it's a lot of the team around michael clayton uh were around that yeah. film you know uh, all the kind of Gilroy family right and um, and so yeah I mean there's a lot of craft that that, that, that goes into that and you know we yeah. were out there for a month doing rehearsals before we started shooting so um, so yeah I think you know you, I, I, I think it's quite good to like if you've done like a ridiculous amount of preparation and then um, and then you kind of like set fire to it all and yeah. like just jump off the cliff when yeah, you start because yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff will be in your muscles. I guess it's like if you've done you're into prep, MMA and stuff, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. It's like you, if you know all those different moves, the muscle you, memory type exactly, effect of it, then it's there. That's but it. I mean, I think you've are you, are you right there? You you are allowed to take that step of just going off and and seeing what happens if you've done the prep yes. to to be ready. For, for that if you're doing yeah. it without the prep then, then that's probably bag. because you're being lazy and you just can't be asked to do it like oh well artistically we're just going to make it up as we go along it's yeah. like no you're doing that because you can't be asked to sit down and write out what needs to be done and learn what needs to be done and kind yeah. of take it from there right I think I think there is an element of that yeah I think there definitely is it's um, it's, it's quite weird sometimes it's like I don't know I, I, I sometimes wonder whether like the prep I do is actually like really serving any function other than just offsetting my anxiety in the build-up to doing something I don't know I'm sure it is but but um I don't know it's just something I I wonder um but you know one other thing I would say about a difference between UK and the USA which I've which I've seen a lot more is like um just the amount of roles out there if you're not white really yeah I think it's just something that's just um a little it's it's just a little bit of a tragic waste i think what happens here yeah. where we kind of cuz i think i think like you know we we can't just think that our best days like as a country are behind us mm. and like our best stories are behind us yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah, our yeah. best stories was that everyone wore a fucking bonnet and yeah. like ran around the country yeah. i mean surely not man yeah, no, that's just right. like w- like the uk still is like a cultural powerhouse and it's because because of our music our contemporary musical output you know yeah. every every couple of years kids in london invent a new musical genre that goes and takes over the world yeah, you yeah. know literature wise our multiculturalism, you know, spawned everyone from, from like, or even in modern art, like you got your Chris Ophelis or your Tracy Emmons who talks about her like kind of mixed heritage, and you know, in literature you've got, well, I, I guess we could claim Rushdie and also you know Zadie Smith, and yeah. and I just feel like contemporary British reality is this like is actually really like it's on the cold face of multiculturalism and and really advanced in how we're dealing with it actually if you look at a lot of continental Europe and and so such a kind of global we got such a global story to tell over here and I feel like a lot of the time we retreat into this very like tried and tested package of a of days gone by which actually I don't think is as exciting as our contemporary stories yeah. and, and and it's weird it just means that I mean I've just been out there in in America um, doing this HBO thing 
and um, and like who pops up to play one of my co-stars is Bashy. Amazing. You know, no and, it's, and you just <laughs> yeah. get that kind of stuff happening all the time. That's it's crazy. like if you're if you're not white and you're an actor in Britain, I mean, the, uh, the opportunities are like it's kind of embarrassingly limited and so I've found that a lot of my work's been coming there for the last three or four years now through about three years Uh, since I did Reluctant Fundamentalist with Mira Nair and then I did um, the pilot for Criminal Justice and then I did you know Nightcrawler and now I'm back doing doing the series for for Criminal Justice and already just being out there like you know I've I've got like three American uh, kind of offers or whatever lined up for every one British one and yeah. it's um, and it's a strange thing why do you think the British film industry is going in that direction I mean obviously they've taken a lot of money out of funding and things like that but why can't people see that that, that modern Britain has a lot of stories to tell rather than just I think it's I think it's Britain. actually just a symptom of like a wider societal squeeze that's going on right now yeah. where we've got you know basically if you don't already have <laughs> you know you've just been shafted in the last few years whether yeah. you're a student who now has to yeah, pay yeah, yeah, yeah. pay more to go to university or whether you're like you know you've got disability benefits it's like the amount of people that can afford to like have their lives subsidised to go and work for free in the creative industries and be apprentices whether it's a Vogue or whether it's you know make tea on a film set yeah. it's just more and more of, of, our, of the elites in our society yeah which would be like white upper class. And so that starts skewing the kind of stories that get told. I think partly that, I think is partly also kind of post-financial crisis. There's just like people want to take less risks. And so they fall back on tried and tested formulas. Period drama is always something that's worked in this country. Um, was something that's always sold globally. Downton Abbey absolutely smashed it. Yeah. And it's also during times of crisis people say that escapism always sells and that's also you know to uh you know harking back to bygone days when things were simpler and that, and that's that's part of it as well rather yeah. than facing our kind of kind of fucked up contemporary reality in lots of ways you yeah, know it's yeah, a scary yeah, yeah, messed definitely. up world so i think it's a lot of kind of head in the sand stuff mixed with like less resources stuff which just le- leads to this really weird skew that that actually i think if we don't try and, and, and face, I think you no know, people like Lenny Henry have been really vocal about this as well, and there's been lots of campaigns kind of started because I think black black and ethnic minority representation on TV kind of went down yeah. in the last couple of years for the first yeah, time yeah, in ages, yeah, yeah. and it's like um, I don't know, it's just something that I think is um, if we just carry on sleeping on it, I think we're just going to become like this irrelevant pastiche of like you know this artifact yeah yeah uh, completely as opposed which, to what we are in, in in other creative mediums whether it's visual art or literature and, and or music puts, which is vibrant it and puts contemporary a, complete, a limit on everything because there isn't a limit to stories of britain but there is a limit to elizabethan stories in britain or you know or, or whether <laughs> that time was only a set period so if all we're going to stick with is 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 that kind of thing yeah. then there's it's going to run out yeah. it's going to run out of ideas and i need to to sling some context in here because people are probably confused that we've gone from this a discussing film to a wonderful breakdown of of British society. Now, are you, are you, you got a, before you started acting or before you broke in acting, you got a degree in in philosophy philosophy of politics and economics, right? That's and, right. Yeah, and then went on. To, <laughs> that was that was I did do a lot of work. You didn't do a lot. I don't, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you had that room. What made you go from that path to an acting path? What was it? Obviously, if you were 
studying something so, you know, intense or so away from acting, essentially, I guess. Uh, what kind of made that or influenced the, um, that switch? I was always I was always kind of doing acting at school and stuff like that and at uni um, as well a little bit. But um, I don't know, man. I just I've always been quite a restless person. I couldn't see myself at a desk job. I was the other thing I was doing at uni a lot was music, and I was kind of promoting these club nights. Um, this one I started this club night called Hit and Run, which still runs up in Manchester actually under Rich Reason, yeah. and. Um, uh, and, and that was like drum and bass and, and hip hop and all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, I don't know, that was my passion, that and, and, and I guess acting. But I never thought I could really have a career in it. And I would say, I, I remember it so specifically, this um, a girl at university that I didn't even know that well, but kind of an acquaintance, her yeah. name's Maxine Linesight. And I just remember she randomly just emailed me because you know you can guess someone's name from their name dot last name. And she just said, listen, I saw you in this play that you did like a couple of months ago. You better be pursuing that because you should. And and it's so weird. Like no one had... No one had told me that. It's weird. Like, no one had ever said, like, you could make a career You're good at this. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, all I needed was one little nudge because I doubted it so much, partly because turning on the TV was goodness gracious me and that was it, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, for a long time growing up. And um, and I think what those guys did was incredible and amazing. And I'm, I'm all, you know, actually Sanjeev Bhaskar emailed me recently yeah. and praise from him meant more than yeah, 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 to anyone because like weird ch- like childhood hero kind of vibe. And, um, but, but yeah, and she just kind of this 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 wonderful girl just kind of like gave me this nudge, and I thought, oh, fuck, maybe I should just yeah, right, screw it. So yeah. I don't know. So it was just actually a very personal little moment of like just random good vibes. If you can randomly give people good vibes and do it, because you never know how it might affect their lives. Um, yeah, completely. And I just thought it's um, beautiful that just yeah, that it, all it takes is that one thing, and particularly from essentially a stranger I think that does have more of an impact because it it? if it's, if it's are your mates just going oh you killed yeah. it it's like of course my mates are going to say that it's, it's, it's my boys coming but then in, don't so. you think then that's, that can later on in life when you kind of get more you know if you get more props and you get what you do is more publicly validated that can kind of start becoming dangerous in a way because like like the the, the validation of strangers yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. how important that is, and how important you let that be can, yeah. can actually really fuck you up as well. Particularly in the way the world's gone with social networks and <laughs> exactly. stuff like that. I think it's so. How do you deal with that? I, do you, I, what do you what do you do? You like respond or, to every time someone says nice track? Would you not? Or, or, or do you try and shut it out? Really early on, I decided that number one, I don't search my name on 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 Twitter and stuff like that. Ooh, I, I just, I just don't think that's a good idea. No, no, because nice. it, it was that it was that 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 realization that. If someone is saying something about me that I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have come into my life naturally, it's not that important. Do you know what I mean? If it's positive, if it's praise, if it's praise, it will just add to my ego. But it's not important because that person's opinion didn't mean shit shit to me until they said something nice about me. Yes. When they were talking about everything else, I'd never heard of them. As soon as they're saying I'm the best in the world, it, the, their opinion suddenly valid. But equally, That's if someone's a, a, a talking shit, if someone's saying, "Oh, you're appalling," or "I don't like this," like. I don't know this kid. I don't. Why should their opinion mean something to me or have an impact on me? 
But do you actively do you actively try and disengage from like any conversations that might involve your name? Like, do you not check? I mean, because no, I mean, I'm the happiest I've ever been on Instagram and things like that, and I, I I love that and I engage on that as much as I've I can. I've never been so happy as when I've disengaged from like all social media for really? a long periods of time. I just feel like. A lot of the time, you just feel like um, you're not living your life for actually what's going on right now. You're living your life to save up stories, pictures, and anecdotes, and like picky yeah. quotes to then share with people later, so strangers to validate. I mean, that's kind of the, uh, uh, the life essentially, anyway. Of of I mean, we'll get onto it in a minute. I want to stick on acting for a bit, but of a musician and of a writer, I think ninety percent of the time when something happens in my life, I've discussed this before. Like if you have a breakup or, or something like that, and you're fucking heartbroken and you're a mess, but just the split second before you fall asleep, you'll think, I can get a song or two, or two out of this. Ooh. This is, you know, this is, this is heartbreaking, but I can get a few songs out of this. This can go somewhere. Bob Hoskins said when his dad died that that's all he could think about was like, you know. I can turn this into something. And like, and I've got to remember this feeling. I could I could recreate it. And, yeah. it's, and it's just... It's a weird he hated thing. himself for it, I think. And it's, it's a, it, is a, it is a really weird thing. It's, um, it's like... I don't know. I, I, this is something that I've kind of um, thought about more. Have you seen Whiplash? Um, I haven't yet. Yeah, it looks amazing. It's really good. Have you seen Birdman? Yeah, yeah. I saw Birdman the other day. Blew Wicked. me away. Amazing. Absolutely amazed me. All right, so both both films are about being um, obsessed with your art. Yeah. Obsessed with your craft or obsessed with, like, having your art validated by yeah, people. Yeah, understood. Yeah, and, um, to be understood is to prostitute oneself is is one of my f- favourite quotes from Fernando Pessoa in, in, in the book of Disquiet. And I love <laughs> it because it just keeps you in, in, in check a bit when you're like, right, hang on, I'm trying so hard to be understood and validated. And essentially, you are prostituting yourself there. You're putting yourself out there just for someone else's, the payment of their of their validation and appreciation. So. Yeah. But, but yeah, continue. I'm no, no, taking no, you off track well, there. No, no, uh, there this similar kind of thing. And I don't know, something that I think about more and more is like, um, both those films about people, particularly Whiplash, are just like obsessed with their art. Yeah. And I just wonder, like, I don't know, it's, it's those trade-offs that we make about, basically, is it is it about, is it about becoming like a completely obsessive weirdo and just shutting off like real life and healthy work-life balance and yeah. all that kind of stuff if you really want to do great things? Yeah. Or actually, is it about having the perspective and groundedness that comes with just having like treating really- your, your art like a job and turning it off? And it's something that I really like bounce between um, thinking that, you know, is is or, one way or, or the other? Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, what I you really think about that. I, I I couldn't tell you because you I think, sometimes get really obsessive. Yeah, I do, and I think again, it's kind of. I think that's okay too, if you know what I mean. It's an odd thing. Uh, my, I was, I was I was discussing a, a similar th- a thing with my brother a while ago, and he's got a lot of really interesting outlooks. He's got his his philosophy degree, and he's he's an interesting guy. But he was saying, and I think it's a great a great quote that. A, a, a happiness is put f- far too high on most people's g- goals and agendas. <laughs> oh, no. He, says, he said so happiness like... is a good thing. He said it's good, it's part of it, but it's not the only emotion yeah. and not, not the only thing. So yeah. it's perfectly okay yeah. to do, you know, have this obsessive time of getting this thing perfect and foregoing a, 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 your happiness to achieve that that progression of yourself, of your career, of your art, of, of whatever it is. And that's acceptable, and it's it's often um, a, f- a fault at times of, of of humanity that we're too obsessed with that that the balance of happiness 
against yeah. everything else as opposed to legacy yeah. if you had a mad health scare what would you because a lot of people you know on their deathbed they do interviews and stuff and um, I've got quite a morbid mind and they, they, and they always say things like no one says I wish I'd worked harder yeah like no one says that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone says I wish I'd spent more time with the people that matter to me most yeah on their deathbed yeah now if you had a mad health scare yeah what would you what would, honestly like what would you I've had a few health scares and I was like and do you go oh shit okay quickly fuck me. you know that script that you like left half finished like yeah. you gotta finish that you gotta shoot that you gotta or are you like okay you know what man I wanna marry my girl um, you know what I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go on that family holiday I'm gonna take my dad on safari to Africa he's always wanted to yeah. like what I mean I wonder man I wonder you know, when that, it comes down to it which it's, way you it's, go it's an interesting and frightening thought because my, my my gut reaction is it would be I've got these th- th- three scripts <laughs> I really like and I've never got done exactly, and stuff yes. like that and it's like it's I don't know it's, it's interesting I guess in a way and again it's not saying that Eva's a right or wrong obviously I would want to do stuff with my family and you know all this kind of thing but the 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 artistic endeavors in that respect are that bit more unique to you, if you know what I mean. Are they if, unique if, to you, if, or if, is it is it or if, is it or is they or the, is it just an attempt at immortality, man? Yeah. Are you just basically just it, trying to like it, cheat death? Is it arrogant it? to think that they that they're unique to you? Because in reality, you're just some dude as well. So you know, is it really that? if you don't write this it will never you know the the world is starved of this beautiful thing that you need to get done whereas you know you've got insurance your dad can go on holiday with that it's fine after after you've gone you i'll concentrate on the script and you spend the money after i've gone i'm going away you know found a way of doing both of them it's perfect well i mean we've been discussing um oh a lot of things but one of the things i wanted to get to was obviously for lions a lot of people know you for and give you a lot of love for but i think that ties directly into your life of having to to balance and consider um the uh, view and perception of 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 muslims in in the uk um and i know the first piece of your music i heard was sour times that blew me away that is is addressing that it's speaking you're in of, the video for i am in the video Wait. for along with who else is in there plan b tom, uh, tom hardy tom hardy's in there there's some people in there uh jim sturgis knitting sawney it's interesting and a lot of like just random people yeah. and a lot of like fans that came and uh were part part of saying that yeah. Yeah. I mean if it's okay with you, obviously it won't happen while we're here now, but I'm going to put that that piece in here now. Okay. And then we'll have a, li- a little pause as so the listeners can hear that because I I think it's amazing and then we'll come back. In these sour times, please allow me to vouch for mine. Bitter taste in my mouth, spit it out with a rhyme. I'm losing my religion to tomorrow's headlines. Forest Gate. Sorry mate. Nah, nothing is fine. Please allow me to vouch for mine Bitter taste in my mouth, spit it out with a rhyme I'm losing my religion to tomorrow's headlines Forest Gate, sorry mate? Nah, nothing is fine And now it's post 7-7, why they calling it that? They're trying to link it to New York Like we're all under attack from the same big bad guy But it's taking the piss Cause the truth is Al-Qaeda doesn't really exist there ain't no supervillain planning these attacks from some base 
The truth is so much scarier and harder to face See there's thousands of angry young men that are lost Sidelined in the economy, a marginal cost They think there's no point in putting ballots up in the box They got no place in this system and no faith in its cogs They're easy targets to be getting brainwashed by these knobs Who say that spilling innocent blood is pleasing a god Well it sounds good when you don't see no justice or jobs The gas bills are piling up but all the oil's getting robbed So David's taking out Goliath and his wife and his dog Segregated, castrated, now we see who's on top So see it ain't religious faith that's causing these crimes It's losing faith in democratic free market designs It's no coincidence the bombers came from ghettos up north And the way that Bush and Blair talk gives a lost boy a cause Then double standards get them angered both at home and abroad There's a monopoly on pens, that's why they forge their own swords The misguided turn violent, strap themselves up with bombs But they're still cowards, cause they ain't here when the backlash is on So in these sour times, please allow me to vouch for mine Bitter taste in my mouth, spit it out with a rhyme I'm losing my religion to tomorrow's headlines Forest gate, sorry mate, nah, nothing is fine Please allow me to vouch for mine Bitter taste in my mouth, spit it out with a rhyme I'm losing my religion to tomorrow's headlines Abu Ghraib, sorry mate, nah, nothing is fine So all the mans that wanna say that my religion has to change That we're stuck in a bygone age, it's time to set the vinyl straight Don't you think it's kinda strange that all this terror outrage These last gasp castaways, these bastards that will blast away Just turned up in the last decade When Islam has been the way for millions from back in the day Instead of thinking that we're crazed, investigate just what it says Fast, help the poor and pray, go Mecca, be steadfast in faith That's the basics, that's the base, so how did we get here today? When interpretations always change, today they're read with rage Binge you hardened up, desperation's kinda fucked Makes you use a book of peace as weapons in a ruck So listen, terrorism isn't caused by religion Or an old school vision of Islam It's against the Quran and it's a new innovation Caused by mashup situations, that's what makes them turn to arms The problem is modern and it's all local factors Dictatorships, injustices and wars cause fatwas sour times please allow me to vouch for mine bitter taste in my mouth spit it out with a rhyme i'm losing my religion to tomorrow's headlines abu Ghraib, sorry mate now nah, nothing is fine please allow me to vouch for mine bitter taste in my mouth spit it out with a rhyme i'm losing my religion to tomorrow's headlines guantanamo sorry bro nah nothing is fine Please allow me to vouch for mine Bitter taste in my mouth, spit it out with a rhyme I'm losing my religion to tomorrow's headlines Obviously we didn't actually have to pause in, in real life But oh, yeah, right, okay. so that was, um, yeah So how was that? How, how Was that a, a deep a deep-rooted wish to... to to readdress the changing views of Muslims in British society. Um, obviously, you did a, a, a post-9-11 blues um, as well. What was your overall goals with that? Or was it just, I want to write a song, or was it, this stuff needs to be said, this stuff needs to be addressed? No, it came from a very like visceral uh, place, and I didn't, 
which is unusual for me. I didn't overthink it. Um, I was shooting Road to Guantanamo yeah. and I was in Iran at that point. We're doing all the Guantanamo scenes and I was just thinking, you know, coming home every day, I just had mad cuts all over my ankles and just like every day you get in the shower, you'd flinch from a new little, you know, scar or something. Just And we were just, you know, acting out like a minute like 0.001 you know percent of what those real guys went through yeah and um and i don't know i just kind of like oh, i just i was really to try and you know a lot of the time i bet you probably have this as well because the kind of songs that you sometimes write is like mm. sometimes you write stuff just to try and make sense of it for yourself yeah yeah completely and it was like there was this knot of stuff on my chest and and i was like i needed to try and work out what i thought of it yeah, and I was like, "What do I really think?" Well, I think it's kind of actually like this, and I was almost just thinking it through as I was writing it, which is why a lot of it's quite just very straightforwardly, this then this, and I think then this then this, like almost like building a little Lego house yeah. of my own thoughts about it. And so I oh, that's great—a like that. live understanding and progression of of what your thought and opinion is on the subject. That's yeah, that's a, that's a, a, a fascinating thing for people to then be able to hear and take in. But you know the weird thing is, is that after I wrote it, I thought um, I can't ever perform this. Like yeah. I remember there was such an ugly drumbeat of like Islamophobia at that time. I was just thought like, if I say any of this, and people will think I'm like you know uh, supporting terrorism or something, or I don't know. Like I just remember just thinking, oh look, that's just for yourself. Like don't ever ever show that to anyone. Yeah, and I didn't for years. And that's I wrote crazy. Post Nine Living Blues after that. Yeah, just like. Um, again, like in one go, like as a kind of like joke thing, just and I just did it and I just put it out. And it was after that I'd come out and everything that one day I was like um, with a couple of mates and I was, and um, it was random. I was on a boat, on a houseboat in Canary Wharf. Right. One of them had blagged like he's living on a house house. Boathouse or houseboat, whatever you call it, yeah. and um, and I just remember I see like the Canary Wharf towers, and it was um, like just mad view. And I just I don't know why I just thought, let me just these two people I trust, I just wrapped it to them, yeah. and they were like, mate, why are we pissing about with that post like eleven blues bollocks? But yeah. you should have put that out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I was completely. thinking, shit, really. Um, so then I put it out, but again, is that thing of I don't know. Sometimes is I think there's a lot of self doubt in you know at least I I. I have experienced a lot of self-doubt whether it was like should I apply to drama school until yeah. that person emailed yeah, yeah. me or you know um, should I put out sour times until like people I tr- mates that I trust say it's good it's weird thing and it's, it's something that it's, it's weird because I think like that desire to be validated or encouraged or get that pat on the back on some level like as creative people as performers we're all seeking that we're all seeking that round of applause basically yeah. but the thing is if you go into your art if you go into a scene trying to get a round of applause if you go in go into the recording booth trying to like write sick bars as opposed to just doing what the scene demands yeah, or yeah, yeah, listening yeah. to the beat then actually you'll fail so I, th- I think it's a weird kind of paradox that um, I don't know at least I'm trying to become more aware of is the same thing that drives me to want to be a performer is also probably kryptonite to a good performance yeah um, a, a lot of the time yeah uh, that's crazy I mean that's I think it's interesting because there is that I, I, I completely understand the self doubt, but and particularly when discussing s- such a big and important subject. Um, but I feel on something like that, um, it's kind of big and important and enough a subject that you have to uh, 
a sacrifice yourself to it a little because um, yeah, there will interesting. there will be people particularly at that point when there was so much Islamophobia and all that kind of thing it's like some people will hear that and think negatively of you but you've kind of got to take that on the chin because the bigger important thing is a lot of people will hear it and go right so supporting Islam isn't supporting terrorism being a Muslim isn't being on side with, you know, it's it's two different, yeah. these are different things, these are different perspectives, which particularly at that point, people, a lot of people didn't understand and didn't get. So I guess there's yeah. part of it there is, You've got to put is going against that. Of, yeah, you're not of the bigger you, you picture. You can't only, you've, you're putting yourself out there and you will get that praise, but you also have to be prepared to take it on the chin because some people are going to be like, fuck you because of this kind yeah, of because ultimately it's not about you yeah exactly you're just like a messenger for whatever point and happens that's so to... hard for any artist to hear it is but, but it's true isn't it it's, it's not when you do your you. best work it's yeah. when you do your best work it's, it's not about you yeah you know or in a scene or in a you know when, when you're recording a song or anything or um that's why you I get think lost a lot in of, the thing itself that's, like that's why i think a lot of people's a lot of bands first albums are, the, are their best because they're unaware yeah. that people are going to hear it yeah. and then the second album comes around like if people are going to hear this oh how am i going to come across or this or that in the first one they're just writing they're just writing it's writing it's whatever kind of thing and then i've i've had that a loads obviously a thou shout is the track that comes up and up again and people ask me questions on that all the time it's like I wrote. I didn't think it through that much, man. Like you've thought about this far more than I thought about it at the time. I wrote it in my mum's bedroom. I didn't. This isn't planned and structured. It's yeah. just something I wrote. I didn't know I was going to have to answer questions on it. I didn't know I'd be called up on it. So yeah, yeah. It's no, a fascinating. I, I think one. so. But but in in terms of that that whole thing of like, you know, represent it, representing. It's it's a weird one, man. Because on the one hand, you've on the, on the one hand. I sometimes feel proud that like my some of my work might have a significance beyond just being entertaining. Yeah. Whether it's engaging with like a thorny political issue or, you know, humanizing, you know, people that are often dehumanized. Um or just by the fact of like, you know, even in something like Nightcrawler, just being like a brown face yeah. up there. You yeah. know, where that's quite rare, weirdly. Um and so I kind of feel proud of that that like up mups you know just by just just by dint of being a minority to some extent um just being visible and yeah. and and being trying to be consistent and trying to produce quality work will, will helps balance out a landscape in some way yeah that's that's a source of pride but it's also a kind of i feel allergic to to, to to owning that to some extent because it's like you don't want to be viewed as any kind of like representative or cipher for like you know you don't want to be a, a, any kind of token you know you, it's like you just want to be seen as an artist you don't yeah. want to be rep seen representing bearded people from essex completely although you do i do represent them sadly exactly. they're furious with me no i i get that completely um just again going off that that there um can we talk about uh, four lions and and essentially reluctant a uh, fundamentalist and any um any f fears or nerves you might have had i remember when us chatting when uh, chris morris had got in touch about four lions i hadn't explained much and you'd said then that you were a bit nervous because you know you knew it was about terrorists and bombers and it's like that's a tough thing to be doing a subject or you know a, f a film on right now and there was some nerves but obviously it's Chris Morris. He's a fucking genius. So you know he's gonna yeah. 
pull it off. And I think the beauty of it was it was ludicrous enough just for all the hilarity, but it got away with, which is really important, humanising a a terrorist. As I said, in both of these films, I think, which people were scared to do at that point. People, the terrorist had to be the evil evil villain that is unspeakably evil there's no forget that they can't be a dad or a brother or a family member they're an evil evil villain so Mm. i think that was a really important thing so so how was that for you taking that on and you know did that cause any conflicts in your yeah mind well it's weird there's never been any um negative kickback for four lions yeah ever from anywhere People yeah. don't believe me when I say that, but honestly, like people are not hesitant to get in touch and tell you they hate you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> especially you. Yeah, you know yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> um, that, um, but it's like, and so, so there's never been any kickback from that man. And like, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's a testament to how well it was pulled off, though, right? Because it's just a lot of it. You can recognize a lot of truths in it as well. And yeah. like, I remember people would say like, "Oh, but what's it like in like Muslim communities?" It's like. I remember when we first went up to Bradford, we were like, was it, was it like me and Kayvan? And we went up to, what did we go up to Bradford for? It was after the film had come out or it was like another special screen, screening or something. Like the whole train carriage just became like a little like victory parade. Yeah. For Like, it was like, Amazing. they loved it. That people love that film and it's weird like how much everyone thought everyone would hate that film yeah. I think you just got to give people credit like people have got a sense of humour yeah there is it's, it's far too common in, in the entertainment industry in particular to to under underestimate the in- intelligence yeah. and abilities of, of the audience to, yeah. to actually understand shit and to get shit and to know know what you're doing to not just go this is disgusting it's a comedy about terrorists yeah. it's like no they will watch it and they will understand what it is and yeah. what it achieves and what it gets across. But I did, you're right, I did, when it was first offered to me, I did turn it down. Um, and uh, that was because I just, I wasn't really sure, like, what the vibe was with it. I was like, I mean, the thing is, so look, I, I, I was, when I did Post 9-11 Blues, Chris got in touch yeah. and I met up with him. I didn't really know really who he was. I knew he used to do some, like, I know a lot of people thought he was like a comedy legend, so it was yeah. great that I hardly knew what he, I just thought like, perfect, he's really, like, right? quite weird guy but like really I remember us discussing maybe like, he's, he's a genius like he's the he's absolutely you gotta yeah, just do I, what he says and, and I was like, like is he alright really? okay <laughs> I've got to check out he did some program Brass yeah, Eye or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like I, I don't know why how but I had missed his boat I didn't really know who he was fully so I just met up with him and just vibed with him and he said look I'm researching this you know this area like the kind of thing you've done your post I live and blues thing on and you know, um, and we just talked around that subject and ended up hooking him up with one of my mates in Manchester who became his main researcher on Four Lions. And then for three and a half years, Chris was basically just going around the UK, um, kind of just on street level, just getting to know different Muslims, different people, different characters, you know, finding like interesting people and just getting to know that whole world inside out. Um, until like you know, three years later, he would come meeting up, and he's like schooling me, and I'm like, oh shit. Um, he's he's, he's amazing. Like credit that. F- he's for that, that he like just that. will get yeah. that into it. And again, for something that three years n- not seems like th- th- throwaway, but it's so lightly delivered. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. it's subtle. It's, it's like, true. It, 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 you'd have to 
I mean, I'd imagine you will have noticed more how accurate it was <laughs> to the societies he's talking about. And then you think, hang on, he's a yeah, middle-class white quotes, guy. Like, the from, stringed from, you know. instruments thing. It's like amazing yeah. how like these little things that you've heard people say stuff like that. It's amazing. Like, um, so, so yeah. The, the, and at first, so even though I knew him and I trusted him and I kind of thought, I thought of him as a mate at that yeah. point. I was like... Oh, I don't know, man. Like, what's your, what's your vibe with this? Like, what do you want to do what with it? Like, and here? also because so many of our conversations were so like kind of like intellectual, and a lot of it I thought was like, this is like slapstick. Yeah. Like yeah. what? <laughs> what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. And um, and also I just done shifty, and I was and I said, look, man, I don't know if I want to go on about the terrorism thing because it's always people people are going to go on about it all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether really I want to fuel that, that. Yeah, yeah, fire yeah. And, and be that guy. Um, and then he said, um, I, I hear what you're thinking. Is this a step uh, away from or towards Asian James Bond? Uh, I think it's a step towards it. And I was like, what? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and so I'll read it again. He was like, you know, met up with me and said, and so we did. I did it, and it was so fun, man. Yeah. We just had so much fun. He just like shouts out random things between. Uh, just so many scenes, we just couldn't keep it together. Like the one where it was just like, it's like Barry's a bad because you you know he whittled in me gob and all this. Like, <laughs> bro, I, without exaggeration, I think we were there for about an hour. We couldn't do it, man. <laughs> we couldn't do the scene. Like we couldn't do it. We just. So it was just so much fun. Uh, beyond anything and then to see that it got that reception yeah it wasn't, wasn't always clear because when it opened at Sundance Americans didn't have a fucking clue what we were saying oh really of basically course. people yeah. like coming out of the cinema just confused yeah just baffled yeah um, not sure what they should it's think it's the beauty that the thing that's going to have confused her the most is the Midlands accent oh, more completely. than anything else yeah, yeah. that's kind of totally in <laughs> such an in-depth film on such important <laughs> subjects the, f- the thing that would have thrown her would have been the Midlands accent going I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're saying. (laughs) So I was like, oh, well, look, man, I mean, I had fun making it, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then somehow it just, um, you know, over the years, it built built up more and more. It's one of those interesting ones where, like, you know, I'm sure it's the same with all the other boys in Four Lions is that we probably get stopped more for that film now than we did at the time it came out. Yeah. And it's that kind of slow burn. It's that slow build, which I think is another interesting thing about the film industry. So much of a film's success is judged on how it did in our opening weekend, but... I think that's uh, that's just not. I don't know. At least in in my eyes, I mean, no, nothing I've done's had a big opening weekend yeah. apart from Nightcrawler. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's in, interesting how quickly that. But that stuff, but those things. But but I think things can build word of mouth over time. Yeah. And a film can stick around. You know, completely. I I I, I think. Are just my observations of that. If there was a point where opening weekend was the most important, or or the the cinema release in general was the most important thing of a film coming out, and then it kind of drifted the other way with DVDs and everything getting being equally as important. But as soon as as you realise that a, a Kevin Smith could have a prolonged career regardless of any a, a, a cinema success, because people would buy the DVDs in droves. But I think that's kind of flipped back round now with the amount of torrenting and pirating that in all of a sudden the cinema releases and things like having a good weekend on Nightcrawler is all the more important because that's the place where people will watch it and have to pay rather than as soon as it's out on DVD, people have the option to not pay, which Well, I think that also comes comes back down to like what kind of film it is, what kind of scale is being made for, what kind of budget is being made for, you know? Um, And I think if you make a lower budget film, then 
maybe you can think right the opening weekend is just a part of it but really it'll have its, it's we'll get our money back long term yeah, yeah, yeah. you know in bits of, yeah. but you know if it, you've got a hundred and whatever million pound film you need to have a big opening weekend because yeah. you're never going to sell enough DVDs to um, to cover that yeah maybe I don't know yeah, I don't talk as if I know anything about this shit I don't really have a clue man <laughs> well can we I mean I'll, I do we're almost at the hour mark but we'll go comfortably over because who cares um I want to get onto the music, but just just quickly, I want to just find out the contrast between Four Lions and Reluctant Fundamentalist, which, incidentally, uh, when it came out, I kept calling Accidental Fundamentalist, which sounds like an 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger it's comedy. It's misconceived, yeah. But, um, so how was that? Because that was tackling similar subjects to Four Lions, but w- without the slapstick, being far more, um, yeah, uh, uh, s- serious, earnest, essentially, way, yeah. earnest. And again, I think it gave... Sympathy to to the the what brings someone to a point of terrorism and all these different things. Obviously, it's conflicted. It goes, it flips back and forth in that respect. I think. But so, how was that taken on that? And was it kind of easier because at least you're doing a serious thing. So, however it's mis or however it's interpreted, it's a drama. Whereas with a comedy, if it feels like you're not taking the subjects seriously, then that's kind of the the panic. The worst yeah, thing there. It's it's weird, isn't it? Like how, yeah, how that difference in tone goes down. I think people more. Although I think some, I think both films did get praised and criticised, and I think both films, um, ended up building a bigger audience as time went on yeah. through word of mouth and stuff. Um, really different vibe. I mean, I've always loved that novel by Mohsin Hamid, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Right. And as soon as I read it, I actually phoned up Penguin. I remember tried to ask who had the rights. And they like kind of laughed at me, put the phone down. <laughs> and then like, you know, months later, years later, um, got asked to audition for it. Uh, no, you know, terrible audition. Then I got asked to do, put send another tape again. No. Then... They were like, months go by and they go, actually, send one more tape. And then I did and they were like, oh, no, definitely no this time. <laughs> I like, don't know what you were thinking on that last tape, but that's a definite no. <laughs> don't ever call us again. And uh, and I was on the way then, like, and then months and months later, I was on the way to shoot the album cover for my debut album, mm-hmm. Microscope. And I'd, so I just blagged like this warehouse in East London and like blagged this photographer and blagged some lights and blagged someone to bring like some different clothes and I was like on my way there and my agent phones and goes where are you I said I'm in Shoreditch and she's like turn around and go to Mayfair and I'm like what and it's like Mira Naya the director uh, wants to see you and at this point I was like she goes they go fuck right off yeah. man like, yeah. three times I've said no yeah exactly and she was like no no go and I went and um, and I think almost definitely because I went with zero less than zero expectations yeah um, I just kind of like didn't think about anything and it was just like I'm, you know I've got to go in about 10 yeah. minutes yeah, yeah, got yeah. my cabs waiting outside Smash just quickly read this. it once yeah, yeah exactly and left and you know they just call straight away and said and it's, it's weird how that happens similar thing in Nightcrawler when I met the director I met up with him and said look I like your agent he's a wicked guy I know you're not right for this role yeah it was the first thing he oh, said really? yeah, yeah he was like I've seen your work I think good but um, you know he's got this. a totally different energy to this character yeah. this character's like a bit slow and you know you're you're quite a hyper dude and yeah so I, I and so because of that, I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to get this. There was no pressure. To bring up the whole acting line again and go, 
I'm an actor. You, <laughs> but it's weird that people... I, I can act that... You know, I'm not, it's like, you shouldn't just be casting me as a person. It's you know, crazy, it's like, but you know, but, but people do as well. And to some extent, you can understand because we, the way we tell stories and understand stories is through archetypes. Yeah. And some extent... And some of those archetypes are like just lazy yeah and you know really? they're the kind of archetype that say like a superhero can't be played by like michael b jordan you yeah. know yeah, yeah, yeah. um but what he's he's a black dude he should be like you know the sidekick that dies yeah. right yeah, 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 and yeah, it's yeah. like and so some of those archetypes need to be challenged but also some of them are also quite ingrained you know and so um as if you've got a certain look about you people think about you in a certain way and it's weird like yeah it's definitely something that exists so yeah, something that i would weird. almost just discount but but then you realize and uh, you realize like so much of that is uh, so much co- of casting happens on a like blink kind of level, yeah. you know, just straight away. They just kind of crazy. The, the brief time I've spent it, it, in L.A. Like around film people, um, it's, it's been beautiful for me as a, as a musician, just kind of getting to witness. Were you, doing, was, were you doing like film stuff? No, I was out there working on, on, on a record. I was like, I'm down for that. You, I'm, I'm ready to... Uh, when you're leaving tomorrow, I'm down. Let's, let's, let's do this. It's just slapstick <laughs> version of that uh, Tom Hardy Edgerton movie. Yeah, the MMA perfect. one. Yeah, I've done Warrior. But, you know, it have to be Accidental Warrior or, you know, some, exactly. some kind of comedy version. Um, but no, it was fascinating to see exactly that, of to going out f- for dinner with some friends of mine who were in that industry and seeing, essentially, deals are being that. Done, but in, but I mean, and not realizing for ages. I remember, um, I don't want to say anyone's a name, but a director and a writer I know just chatting about this thing, and they were asked. It was about um, a manga f- book that that this this a director wanted to convert, and it's one that I'd read, and I was like, oh yeah, it's amazing, and I was I was telling my friend who's the writer, oh it's amazing, and suddenly I was realised they've pretty much just agreed to do this, and that person's going to write it, and this person's going to di- direct it, and the studio are already keen for this person. It's like. I thought we were just having a conversation. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know this was a business deal. This was, you know, it's crazy how that how that world is, right? Yeah, I guess it's... Um... Do you feel you always have to be on point because of that situation? Because of the fact you could feel you're having a casual chat and, and next week that person rings you up and they're like, I want you, Do you to, know what? It's true. to be Pe- in the X-Men. People are, all, people are always <laughs> assessing you and your vibe and how your vibe might fit or uh, the archetype that they've got in their yeah. mind for that thing. But the thing is, if you think about it and if you try and second guess it, like the only thing you'll regret really is not being yourself. Because yeah. you could go in there and try and second guess what someone's, you know, um, <laughs> someone wants. Yeah. And you try and be that. And then it's like, really, ultimately, I think what people connect with is like sincerity or yeah. some, you know, some level of realness. And so I, I think. I, th- I think you can't do that or you'll go mad. I mean, yeah. I have tried to do that and yeah, I have gone yeah, mad. Yeah. And I, I think you you can't get away from yourself. Vincent yeah. Cassell said something interesting in an interview. It's like, I, I think as a younger actor, you you are very much trying to like transform yourself from every role and trying to escape who you are and like prove to the world you can act. And then, you know, when you grow older, you're like, and the one thing I can do that no one else can is me. It's like the Bill Murray yeah. school of thought, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's like, and... Um, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, where I sit on that in terms of like what what I would like to do, or you know, I think it's amazing when people really transform themselves from one role to the next. To be honest, yeah. but um, but but you can't ultimately you can't escape yourself. You can't yeah, escape no, completely who, who you are and what you look like. And and it's that 
it's that weird thing of not many people in the whole history of acting, if you achieve what I assume a lot of actors want to achieve is to be hugely successful and well-known, you get to a point where that is always going to be Brad Pitt in that film. Do you know what I mean? It's never going to quite... He's going to nail it, but you're. All, it's always going to be Brad Pitt in that film. So there's... Again, it's that being aware that if you're bringing enough of your, yourself to it, that that's okay. Yeah. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I don't know yeah, if I'm yeah, articulating I mean, that right, but it's that a... thing of if you get to that level, no matter how great you are at transforming, yeah. and except for when people... The, the, I do it so well physically. I like Jake in Nightcrawler and things like that. You're, it's, it's, all, it's the more successful you are, the harder it is for people to only see the character up yeah. there. They're going to see the actor up there as well, which is, you know... I think so, man. It's inevitable. And I think that's been something that's been quite nice about... Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, well, people cast Michael Fassbender because Michael Fassbender's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's like why would he want to undo that and then build up a different call from scratch yeah. for, a, you know. Um, so many of the films, are when you're at that level, people are writing films with you in mind, therefore, or a, a, a lot of the time, you know, yeah. therefore... But then comes the complacency uh, sometimes. If I can just and, get and, out there and, and be and me. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. That's, I, I think it's an interesting one. Um, it's not a problem I have. No. Uh, yeah, everyone you writing will. me films. You will. Um, uh, but, but it's something quite nice, though, about kind of being relatively unknown uh, in America and stuff is is like being able to do something like yeah. Nightcrawler yeah, and yeah, playing yeah. American and yeah. not, you know, people not... People don't know and realise. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Which is good. So uh, in a way, I think... So it sounds like then the plan is to basically not be very successful and well known. not get that successful. That's the, that's the ultimate goal. <laughs> now I feel um, like I've smashed it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, let's end on talking a, a little bit about the music and, and your music. Um, a lot of people who know you from F F F Four Lions and from any of these other films may or may not know that you've been a rapper and spoken word artist at points for as long as you've been an actor, essentially, right? And mm. how have you, you balanced that? Because one of the things I've always liked with your approach, uh, with Microscopes, I think it was, for example, the way you released that with an amazing interactive website and the videos that were like, or, or the live show even, that was, mm. you know, a performance. It wasn't just, here's a gig. It was a... Uh, yeah, it was really a, weird. A, 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 I don't want to say it was a play, because that kind of makes it sound <laughs> shit. Because it wasn't. It was, you know, it was a, it was a more... It, immersive thing it was a yeah it was mad how was that and has that been has your experience have your experiences in acting influenced the way you want to approach how you present your music how you put out your music how it comes across I don't know I've always uh, more than it being like a direct thing of like music influencing acting or vice versa um, I, I feel like um, I've not 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 fitting in has served me well yeah even though it's could sometimes be like painful or lonely like growing up um you know i grew up in a kind of working class environment and i got a scholarship to go to a private school yeah so i kind of grew up between this like quite intense double life at times yeah, yeah, yeah. peers at you know, in one place versus another, living very different lives, yeah. being exposed to very different types of culturally and class-wise as well, and that got even bigger when I went to Oxford. Yeah, just at the same time when people you might have grown up with, you know, doing all sorts of, and so it was like, 
it's a, it's a crazy and so it was quite weird juxtaposition isn't it it, really? it was yeah and in, and at times it was like really confusing but then you kind of you know in retrospect is really enriching and um, and so I don't know I kind of always want it so if I was going to do UK rap I don't want it to just be like grime I want it to be like a little bit left of centre always yeah. I want it to just make it something that's not already there on the landscape yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that's why Microscope was this kind of techno rap album really um, and you know the first EP came out on Crosstown Rebels and Damien Lazarus's label and it was um, it was weird because as you said it was like an interactive immersive rave so we took over the whole of Fabric Nightclub. Yeah. We did it at like Sadler's Wells Theatre. We did it at Glastonbury and at Latitude Festival in the film and music tent. And it was kind of like a cartoon version of Blade Runner is yeah. how I'd put it. Kind of, there's a sonic resistance and uh, we're trying to, you know, take on the Department of Culture and Communication. There's, you know, melting people's brains with crazy frog ringtones and match of the day soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's all kind of tied in with lots of ideas in um, Code Nine's book, Sonic Warfare. Right. So Code Nine, who also lectures at Sonic Theory at University of East London, who runs a hyperdub label, wrote this book called Sonic Warfare. And it's about how sound is being used more and more as a kind of weapon of war, whether it's like the Israeli uh, military flying sonic booms, they're really deliberately, yeah. you know, very low kind of sorties over like the Gaza Strip or whether it's, um, more um, seemingly more benign ways like playing like classical music in like tube stations yeah. to create a chilled vibe yeah, it's like yeah, manipulating it's our behaviour through and so much of pop music is based on the science of earworms yeah. of like what is the optimal frequency for your like your to melody to be at yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's like it's crazy it's, it's like sh- straight up manipulation and where you can manipulate your body through nutrition you can manipulate your brain through sound and music which is like brain candy yeah, yeah. Exactly, give you the right sugar rush or not. Um, so, so anyway, it was all based around long that, and it was a web game, and it was nuts. But in, in lots of ways, I was kind of trying to fly before I could crawl. On my yeah. first album, um, and it was it's received really, really, really well critically. But um, you know, it was quite an experimental idea, yeah. an album. So um, oh, it's, it's definitely out there. And it's, it's, it was it's, a bit it, left field. It, it's one of them things that it's. But I'm all, proud of it, man. It's always easy and, for people like Radiohead or whoever to say oh we're going to reinvent how things are done because they've already got that established audience it's far more brave for people who haven't got that established audience to go oh no I can see a different way of, of presenting brave things or, and doing things you know, like that there's, there's something ballsy about it but there's also something quite naive about it and yeah, also sure. to some extent a little bit arrogant as well it's like you don't know me so rather than me like gently taking you by the hand into my world it's like nah fuck it put on his jetpack we're going to yeah, go all the yeah, way yeah, to yeah, yeah. warp speed um, but that, that was the first album that. And um, but now my music is is kind of taking place in two kind of different spheres. Yeah. One project is called the Sweatshop Boys. Yeah. And that's myself and uh, uh, Heems from Das Racist. Yeah. And um, he's kind of Indian background from New York. I'm Pakistani background from London. So we've created this kind of Indo pack rap trap yeah, 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 grime yeah. dubstep Heavy. kind of collabo. And we dropped an EP and it went down really well. Like all the kind of uh, you know different online outlets and stuff all really liked it and we just played a sold out show in New York and it was mad because you know it's that thing it's like the, you know we had zero expectations of this project yeah. we literally were like man I, I just said oh, don't you think Sweatshop Boy is quite a good name for a band yeah, yeah, yeah. literally just jumped in a studio and um, just kind of started just talking about identity and these things but in a quite swaggy way it was almost like this is something that we wish existed when we were younger. Yeah. 
and we just did it for the love, gave it away, didn't really think anything of it. And Sod's Law, that's always the stuff that's that kind of resonates. Yeah. Um, so that, that Sweatshop Boys is one project. And uh, the other music project is with DJ Distance, mm-hmm. um, who's kind of, I guess you could say, one of the kind of pioneers of dubstep. And um, that project is going out under the name Half-Life, right. is the name of the band. And uh, that's that's very different. That's more kind of, I guess, inspired by likes of Tricky, but also, I guess, stuff like the Drive soundtrack. Yeah, wicked. Um, and that's more about one of my other obsessions, not just I- one of my obsessions is identity, but one of my other obsessions is, um, it's like how we're just this Peter Pan generation. It's like s- s- no one ever wants to settle down. Settle, yeah. settle is a pejorative term in our culture because yeah. consumerism is about endless want. Yeah. So you want to always want the new model of the iPhone, and you also want the new model of the girlfriend, and yeah. you know they had that that kind of Peter Pan syndrome that I think is quite weird. Like we're just dopamine rats, just like hot. You know, our brains are hardwired to our phones. Every time they beep, we just get that little brain yeah. sugar rush, and it's like, you know, Tinder. I think just sums up so much of yeah. how we treat people as well now. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, it's kind of a, a, a kind of dystopian. Uh, album about modern romance, I guess. Yeah, um, that sounds great. That's called Half, yeah, Half Life, and the first track, Subtle, just went up, and Annie Mac and Zayn Lowe and all those nice people supported it, which was which was nice. Is man. there a, a video or anything or anywhere? The video is can... going up soon, but um, it's on SoundCloud. If you just put Half Life, yeah. Subtle. Or what we'll do, we've got just speaking of technology being. A, a, a crazy a one of the ways this podcast goes out is on this this app called Acast mm-hmm. and when me and, and Wargie who who played in your band at one point yeah. have, um, when we upload it we can embed l- links into the podcast so if you look like if they look down at the phone now there'll be a link and it will be sh- showing the nice. SoundCloud link so you can Whoa, pause Borg, and man? just press play he's good man he's doing good he's got my two love. kids now I know he does he's gonna be um, he was in my interactive immersive bonanza exactly exactly but, but yes, so the beauty of that is if you're listening on, on that format, you don't even have to Google it. It's just there to press play now. So you can, like, oh, we're not going to talk about anything irrelevant f- for the rest of this. So you might as well just stop now and go and listen to that and Perfect. and we're done. But yeah, that's cool. Well, thank you very much, man. Where in general can people keep up to date on your on your movements? Is Twitter the best way? Is your website the best way? Yeah, I guess um, Twitter and Facebook, Riz MC, I put yeah. up stuff there from, like, music or film releases and stuff. Perfect. Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Mate, man. It's been thank good to you, chat. Bro. Effortless. Thanks a lot, man. Nice really enjoyed one. it. You've been listening to Scrooge Picks Discretion Piece. That was Riz Ahmed on the Distraction Pieces podcast. Wonderful to get to chat to Riz, Riz Ahmed slash Riz MC. Um, yeah, I thoroughly recommend you keep an eye on everything he does because as you all have seen from that conversation, he's just his mind works in a really interesting way. I like it. So, yeah, that was good fun. Um, that's it for this week. But next week we have Kate Tempest, who a lot of you have requested. So uh, pleased to have her on the podcast at last. If you're not familiar with her, she's a spoken word artist and poet and and rapper and MC and general godlike being. Um, so check her out. The best way to keep 
supporting and uh, on top of all of these is by subscribing. Um, so if you could click that subscribe button, it really helps us uh, climb the charts and therefore get better exposure. It gives us it gives us a load of um, downloads and hits at once, which means we climb higher in the charts and get more exposure and can kind of get this out there all that bit more. And it helps keep it free t- t- to you guys, basically. I'd much rather... Um, the marketing budget of a company is paying for this than you as an individual. So thank you for supporting. Thank you for spreading the word. Word of mouth is key to our, our survival here as a free podcast. So thank you very much. And we'll see you next week on the Distraction Pieces podcast with Kate Tempest.